0: It is an overwhelming privilege that we again have, having been blessed by God with this day. Perhaps the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, 7 may echo in our mind too, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. As we express that hope in him by gathering, coming together in his name, indeed, how many comments we've already heard tonight about the great blessing of the beauty of this day physically, And what more perfect way to conclude it than to come together as God's people, His children, and to not only encourage each other, but also to worship the great God that made it all possible today. As you noticed in the reading a moment ago, and also from the comments that were made in that reading, it's interesting that the weariness that sometimes may present itself leads us to consider a lesson tonight entitled, Let Us Not Be Weary in Well-Doing. I would submit to you that by way of introduction, some thoughts that might be fair for us to consider would be these. I thought that it would be interesting for us to consider the spiritual works that are often made mention to us in the scriptures versus the work physically, the labor you and I may participate in starting tomorrow morning, sometimes if we aren't careful we may be tempted to judge the works that we do spiritually in the same way we learn to consider or judge those works associated with our physical labor. As I make note of here, that's not a terribly good thing for reasons that we'll see in just a moment. To consider perhaps more deeply the idea... You and I learn to appreciate and view things based on physical labor. We invest a given amount of time and work in return for a paycheck or in return for other benefits, whatever they might be. That could be fame or promotion. It could be other numbers of things. But all the while, we learn from an early age to view that in a very specific and central fashion. However, as we'll see, it's a bit dangerous to apply those same thoughts and those same concepts and use them to judge what God has proclaimed and the works that we are commanded to engage in for His name. And it is to that realm that we'll discuss the subject tonight. Let us not be weary in well-doing. As you noticed in Galatians 6, verse number 9, we will in fact come to that verse and provide a fair amount of discussion concerning it in just a moment. But oh, what problems we as humankind bring upon ourselves when we proceed to judge things God has commanded, but we judge them using our motives and our thinking and our opinion. Three, isn't it true that God's ways are far above ours, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9? Isn't it true that his thoughts furthermore are far and indeed above ours? That being said, we shouldn't expect then to apply human logic and human reasoning and human perception and understand the fullness and grandeur of what God has commanded. The whole notion of good works, as it's mentioned in that very verse, challenges us to then perhaps in the lesson tonight, first of all, focus on what does the Bible say about good works. If you and I are to be engaged in it, what kind of good works? Once we have discussed that, then we'll return to Galatians 6 verse 9 and note what Paul commanded about not allowing ourselves to become weary, or that is to say, tired, when it comes to doing good works for God. But first of all, those good works again. It's certainly fair to say that the good works that we should be involved in are mentioned many, many times in the New Testament. Almost perhaps, without doubt, your mind has already raced to many of these texts. But consider just a few of them with me as we think about the character of good works. First of all, the Christian life itself is based on a degree of knowledge. After all, in order to obey the gospel, we must come to an understanding of certain basic thoughts and ideas enough so that we can believe as commanded by Jesus in Mark 16, 16. He said, "...he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved." we then must have a knowledge of that which is to be believed, and we must then have the conviction to follow through on that knowledge and thus repent and confess and engage in those other activities as commanded by none other than our Savior. In Colossians 1, verse number 9, writing to the church in Colossae, Paul himself expressly stated that they might abound in all knowledge unto every good work. There was to be an abundance in their good works, based on the character of the knowledge that they had. It's no wonder that you and I take such interest in Bible study periods and those opportunities that we have to open the Scriptures. For in those times and those precious opportunities, we have the capability of increasing our knowledge, coming to greater understanding and comprehension of God's marvelous and divine will, and that will richly pay eternal dividends. That is not time-wasted. In fact, it is not poorly used in any sense of the word. The richness to be seen there challenges us with Proverbs 23.12 as well, where the characteristic of knowledge is again stated in a majestic fashion to be an integral part of our life with Him. The Christian life is one in which we seek to mature and to grow and to deepen that knowledge. Wasn't it stated by Peter that you may grow thereby, not being babes in the Word, but rather desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby? 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. The interesting part continues onward. We remember as well in Luke 1, verse 77. There near the close of that opening stanza in the gospel according to Luke, at that moment in time, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, had just been born, and it was stated prophetically with respect to him that he would deliver the knowledge through the one following him and about him by which salvation from sin could be made known. Knowledge is a powerful thing. But that knowledge by itself isn't alone enough to save. We must obey that which we know, the truth that is revealed to us. And in that knowledge we see something extremely interesting. For know what that knowledge directly leads us to appreciate, namely good works and the necessity thereof. Many texts could well be mentioned concerning good works. I've listed a few of them. You and I are commanded that we are to have the mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. And yet Jesus himself went about doing good, Acts 10, verse 38. And thus, if we pattern our life after his and seek to emulate that which he did, we too will be busy and engaged in good works, doing that which is productive and good in the very presence and by approval of God. But notice some other texts as well. In Matthew 5, verse 16, early in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's a timeless proposition. Each of us then are not to hide our light under a bushel, but rather we are to be like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are to shine forth then as precious lights in the world, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, and the light that others see in us should be Direct all men's eyes to the precious light of the world. Jesus stated in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Isn't that pressing? And isn't it powerful that you and I can emulate the Savior? And just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Inasmuch as ye see Christ in me, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Thus, we must be about good works as well. But that's only one of some other texts that would be worthy of our study. Consider also the text of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. When to that church in Corinth, Paul expressly stated that they would abound in every good work. You and I should find it exciting when we have the capability by knowledge that we have, when we learn of a good work in which we might be engaged, We should find that exciting to be a part of that good work. On Wednesday evening, we had the opportunity of listening to Mr. Ron Gilbert share with us about the mission trip to Africa and the good work that he's been involved in there. You and I, by way of our contribution and the part at Pippin, have supported many wonderful works and precious souls converted to the Savior in many parts of the world. That should be something that you and I find exciting and find it's something we enjoy participating in. But notice also to that church in Colossae, for as a true in Colossians 1 verse 10, that they too were instructed that they might abound in all the good works that they were blessed to be a part of, we're beginning to see a pattern as it relates to abundance in good works. But the plot deepens and also thickens just a bit when we encounter Ephesians 2, verse number 10. For there, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he expressly made note to them about the purpose for their becoming a Christian. And he stated that they were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You and I didn't obey the gospel and we're not added to the body to be those who do nothing. We didn't become members of the Lord's body to just sit by and accomplish nothing. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's interesting to consider that when Paul wrote to the Roman brethren in Romans 7 verse 4, he expressly said, you've been married to Christ that you may bring forth much fruit. And thus, as we labor for the Savior, and as we labor in His cause, we find the excitement that He instills within us by virtue of the Holy Spirit to redound into good works, and that makes us happy because it brings glory to God. As we recall then, this text in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we understand that the guide, the whole guide behind these good works is that we may ourselves be complete before God. In 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul again spoke and said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And thus, as you and I appreciate the revelation of God, the end result of it in my life and yours is the daily accomplishment of those works that are good. Notice that we are to be completely furnished, or furnished entirely into the accomplishment of good works. As Paul wrote that little book to Titus, it consists of only three chapters. But as you read those three chapters, you quickly gain an appreciation that good works was a central theme of all that Paul had to say. In fact, notice in chapter 2, verse 14, it's expressly noted there that you and I have been purchased by Christ And we are then to be zealous of good works. Zealous. That word means energetic, overflowing with abundance and energy, and with a degree of excitement toward those works that are good. One chapter later in Titus 3, verse 14. Nearly the last verse in that book. But notice there he said, And let ours also learn to maintain good works, that they be not unfruitful. Those good works then that are to be a part of my life yours we begin to see that they are an essential ingredient. They are commanded of us. These are not optional. So much so that in Hebrews 10.24, provoke one another, consider one another, to provoke, to love, and to good works. One of the interesting and intriguing aspects that you and I as Christians can encourage and exhort and provoke one another to good works. One of the things we often see is that one christian can so positively influence another maybe by the character of godliness the character of appropriate integrity and disposition one can positively impact another isn't it true that our young people are often faced with matters like that we as older ones, of course, can also be subject to the same, but if a young person feels that he or she is alone, no one is there to be a partner or aid and encouragement, it's much easier to fall and to slip, to not be faithful and true. But if there's someone there who can also be stern and steadfast and a defender of that which is right and godly, it's far more likely that both will remain faithful. We as older ones often are in a similar predicament. With regard to a good work, oh, how interesting if sometimes someone can provoke us to it. We may appreciate it, but never quite get that intent to come re- to reality. If someone provokes us, encourages us, perhaps set us on the way toward that which is right, that may much sooner come to fruition In Hebrews 13.21, we see it's the will of God that aids us in this, and it's that will that we seek to accomplish. In 1 Peter 2 verse 12, what great benefit. Isn't it there stated by Peter that in that marvelous and great day of visitation, those who've seen our good works may themselves also glorify God. In other words, those who aren't members of the Lord's body, those who perhaps have turned a deaf ear to the gospel to this point, by the good works they see in my life and yours, they may with patience and prayer and time come to glorify God in the day of visitation. Isn't that a powerful thought, that you and I can influence eternity in the lives of others by those good works that they see in us? These texts alone challenge us to realize that as good works are presented, it's also true that other statements can as well be made about these good works commandments that we find are so straightforward and so very plain. The good works that we begin to see help us realize that these good works, again following Jesus, are good works that will be a part of who we are as Christians. But now to the point of our lesson tonight, as you and I consider good works I began the lesson by saying we may picture these works in the same way we picture our work at our job or some other task we may accomplish. And we forestated that that might not be a good idea, and here are some reasons why. For you see, we are readily of understanding that some things are to be understood about our daily work, our work in a physical way or in a carnal way. I've listed just a few of them for you we do not look kindly upon not receiving a reward for our work. Furthermore, we often, in addition to that, would see other problems, not the least of which is this. Suppose we never are promoted. There is never any remuneration for even works, no matter how successful and how good they are. Furthermore, suppose, in addition, that there is not even any recognition for those things. Finally, one might observe, There are many who might look upon the work that you or I do as being unimportant, and hence, they would then not see it as worthwhile in doing it at all. Might I submit to you that if we view the works that God has commanded in this same way, we're going to encounter difficulties, problems, and let's spend the remainder of our time tonight looking at these four ideas and using the scriptures to increase our appreciation of the danger that might be there. After all, the good works that you and I are commanded to do are described in ways such as 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is an absolute promise then that our labors, those good works for the cause of Christ, are not nor will they ever be in vain. But we've just stated sometimes physical work may appear to be in vain. It may appear to be that which is unworthy or unimportant. Furthermore, in this very text before us, Galatians one or Galatians 6, verse number 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Now consider that first problem, especially in light of these two verses. That first problem I mentioned... What about that negative response? We mentioned a moment ago, how would you or I feel if we were working at a place but we received no paycheck? We likely would not work there long. If an employer called upon us to work but said, I can't pay you and I won't pay you, it would be unlikely that we would work there very long. However, we see that negative response, consider the nature of the gospel. Sometimes as you and I invite others and study the Bible with others, and day after day and maybe week after week and month after month, we see no public response. They have been unwilling to obey the gospel, or in other ways we see that work are not that which bring recognition. It seems the response is negative. Well, on the work site, we might be tempted to quit that job and do something else. Can we do that in Christ? Do we allow that negative response or perhaps the failure of positive response to lead us to cease to do that work? We should remember that discouragement may well come our way in, in, in serving Christ. Consider that parable of the, of, uh, stated to us in Matthew 13, the parable of the soils. Notice that which took place. Our Savior spoke about a sower who went forth to sow. Isn't it interesting that the first kind of soil upon which the seed fell was the wayside soil? But then there was also some stony ground and some seeds fell there, others on the thorny soil, and finally on the fertile or good ground. As we study and contemplate that parable, we have no doubt what was being discussed for that parable's interpretation is given in that very same chapter. We understand those soils represent the hearts of men, my heart, and yours. That wayside soil is one in which the devil snatches away the gospel before it even brings forth germination or proceeds to grow. That stony ground soil, that's the one which indeed it springs forth immediately, but just as a plant in the heat of the day, when its root system is weak, it will wither and it will not produce the fruit. So, too, that person who has not matured or who has not grown but whose roots are still shallow, that one, too, may eventually be caused to fall aside by way of the gospel, not remaining steadfast and faithful. That thorny ground soil, those, notice, are choked out by the cares and burdens of the world. Finally, there's that good ground. These are the ones that bring forth much fruit, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. But notice what the Savior said, out of those four soils, which one and what percentage brought forth the productive soil that God would have liked? One out of four. One out of four. You and I, upon proclaiming of the gospel or working with others, may find one out of four to respond positively. Should we look upon that as a disaster? Should we throw up our hands and quit? Of course not. Jesus in this very parable stated we may not always have a 100% response. After all, it wasn't that way on Pentecost either, was it? Oh, how quickly our mind rushes to remember that when Peter and the others preached on that first day, that birthday of the church, we remember that about 3,000 responded, and that's wonderful. But how many were there that didn't respond? Acts chapter 2 doesn't give us that information. In secular writings, Josephus informs us it wasn't unusual for 2 million people to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. 2 million. If even 10% of that number heard Peter and the others preach that day, that was 200,000 people. 3,000 out of 200,000 is not that many. How many at Pentecost did not respond? Isn't it interesting, though, that that didn't stop Peter and the other apostles? They still preached the word, and about 3,000 did hear, and they didn't respond. We, too, must then learn we must be steadfast. We must be dedicated and devoted. We cannot allow ourselves to be moved aside from the truth of the gospel. That truth challenges us yet again, because when we come to our second observation, it's also true that we can write it in this fashion. In addition to that thought, in addition to the recognition about not being moved aside from the gospel, consider also this possibility. What about the timetable that you and I may be called upon to realize? You see, God's timetable is not mine and it is not yours. He does not operate by our timetable. Again, you and I, in the recognition of some work, may desire fruits immediately. We may start a benevolence program and think, if we don't see results in a month, it's not working. Or we may start some other kind of project or program. If there's no fruit in six months, there must be a problem. Perhaps we should remember that our timetable, again, is not God's. After all, think about some of the timetables in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapters 12 and 13, God, in marvelous recognition, made a promise to Abraham. And it was a promise in part that involved land. That promise was as follows. Abraham, to your seed I'll give this land on which you walk. As far north and as far south and as far west and as far east as you see, to your descendants I will give this land. When did God fulfill that promise? Was it the next year? 10 years away? Was it 20 years away? It was not. 500 years passed. A half a millennium passed before God fulfilled that promise. You see, what Abraham may have hoped or expected would be in the near future, God had his timetable. It took 500 years to bring that to fruition. But consider another example. In Daniel chapter 2, God again spoke to Daniel and expressly revealed to him And it's also by his revelation to Nebuchadnezzar about kingdoms that were to come and a Messiah that was to be born. However, it would not happen in the next year. It wouldn't happen even in the next decade. Again, almost 500 years passed before the Messiah would come. One kingdom after another would give way and ultimately the Christ child would be born we should then understand that we shouldn't fit God to a mold and expect that His timetable must match ours. Isn't it true that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day? Second Peter 3, verse 8. Thus, when you and I appreciate by virtue of the Word that a work is good, we need to have a degree of patience and understanding that if it is the will of God, He will bring that to fruition and it will have that good promise for which we began it. But perhaps in the third place, another problem that might lead us to become discouraged when really it shouldn't is none other than the third one I've listed there, the blessing of Christianity. Perhaps it's fair to say that of all the reasons that we might list as to why one might become weary or discouraged in good works, this might be the principal one. Almost certainly, if you and I then become weary or tired in doing good works, it's because we have lost sight of the value of the gospel and the precious hope and promise of Christianity. Jesus forever reminded us in Mark 8, beginning in verse 36, if a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what has he gained? He has gained nothing. For after all, the next verse he said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If one person is brought to the gospel, one, by some effort that you and I have engaged in all of eternity, is blessed. And certainly that person will thank God forevermore for that good work. You see, the recognition of good works, as it reaches out and touches those who are subject to them, are such that it holds out to them the very hope of Christianity, the very blessing that we have in the gospel. It is no wonder that Paul said, War is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. Paul knew that no greater message had he than that. And when he came to Corinth, he thus could clearly and abundantly say, And I, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that your faith may stand not in men, but in God. Oh, the wonder of the gospel and the hope that it brings. As we learn in the lesson this morning, it is the singular message for salvation from sin. And that message of salvation redounds into good works that you and I have the privilege of doing. Those good works that we've seen so far tonight, the very ones Paul made mention of to the Colossians in Colossians 1 verse 5. Do you remember the statement therein made about hope? The hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Only the Christian has that hope. And thus, let us pause to know, what if we then look upon these Christian works the way we tend to work, look at that work we may do tomorrow? If it doesn't bring forth fruit, we quit. We can't do that with Christ. What if it doesn't lead to recognition or the pronouncement or the advancement that we think it should? Can we stop that simply because it has lacked in those matters? Of course not. We understand God operates on a higher plane. The thankfulness and gratitude that rest in our heart toward Him leads us to appreciate these good works that are a blessing from every perspective. But maybe let us note yet a fourth concept as well. There was one more that we noted earlier, and it's time to look at it too. This fourth one that we had mentioned earlier, Notice in Galatians 6, verse number 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing. That word weary from the Greek literally means to become tired, or to become discouraged. Paul said, Let us not become weary in well-doing. Why, Paul? Because or for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Have you noticed the condition that's buried within that text? You will reap, but when, Paul, if you faint not? That little two-letter word, if, is one of the most powerful words in the English language. It states a condition. It states that something is predicated upon the accomplishment of a condition. Its terms must be met. You and I will only reap if we do not faint. If we faint, if we grow weary, if we cease to do those good works, there is no promise of us reaping. In fact, in terms of those verses that just precede this one, those that, in fact, we made mention of earlier this morning, notice he stated in verse 7, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We immediately notice what's being discussed, the reaping of life everlasting. The saddest and most tragic of all failures in reaping is that. It doesn't matter what we may have reaped in life, if we have failed to reap that, we've missed everything. But yet notice again verse 9. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. Oh, the urgency and the necessity then of us to remain faithful in accomplishing those good works, to not let ourselves become weary in that doing which is well and good. As we think about our own then givenness to that well-doing, are we as active as maybe we once were? What about my life and yours tonight? Are you and I as faithful and as steadfast and as excited about the good works for God as maybe we once were? We ought to be. In fact, we should be more excited now than ever. As we mature and grow in Christ, he constantly challenges us to understand the greatness of those good works. What about our attendance, our prayer life, our reading of the scriptures, our other acts of benevolence, the kindness we bestow? Are we more perfected in those acts now than we were in days gone by? What about compared to the first time we became a Christian? Are you mature now than then? Are you stronger in the faith now than then? Are you bearing much fruit for the Savior? You see, Paul challenged the Galatians to never become weary in well-doing, but to always realize the importance and necessity of being steadfast. One of the most beautiful words is steadfastness, isn't it? To hold fast to that which is already appreciated. To hold true to that which is already in possession. To the Christian, the one who's already known about eternal life and all of its promises, We need to be steadfast, never allowing ourselves to grow weary in well-doing, but to be on fire for the Lord, understanding that that fire will redound in us to the glory of God to lead others to His cause. Paul considered himself an instrument for Christ. What kind of an instrument are you and I? Are we sharp or are we dull? When we strive to work in a garden, we don't usually take much interest in those tools that are dull takes too long to get the job done. Too much work involved in that. We prefer something sharp because it can accomplish it. Are you and I a sharp tool in God's tool shed? Or are you and I too weak? Not sharp. Dull. Tonight we have the opportunity then to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 we have the opportunity then to understand that we can come back to a first love if we've been faulty if we've been guilty of not allowing ourselves to remain steadfast if you've become dull if you've become a type person who has grown weary and well-doing come back to your first love tonight realize god wants you back he by virtue of his son with open arms calls you to come back to him We are called by the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. If it's the desire of your life tonight to respond positively to that call, understand this, that if your sins have been private in character, go to your heavenly Father in prayer and beseech his forgiveness. Upon your repentance and confession, he will do that. If your failures have been public in nature, and others have seen your weariness, they've known of your discouragement. Perhaps you've even discouraged others. Don't remain on that same course, but come back to the Heavenly Father tonight and again light the fires within you so that you can again not grow weary in well-doing, but rather that you might in fact remain steadfast and redound unto the good works of eternity. You see, you and I shall reap if we faint not. And all that leads to the conclusion, the summary statements that we might consider for the lesson. As we've looked at some of these already, you notice that they are a summary of how you and I must not allow ourselves to grow weary in well-doing. If we could assist anyone tonight in your obedience to the gospel, understand that when you are immersed, baptized, God will set you on course for an eternity with him. He will fill your life with good works, but you must have a mindset to accomplish them. If you need to come back to your first love tonight or to become a Christian for the first time, we'd be honored to help you. In fact, we'd be happy to be of assistance in that way. If Brother Terry leads us in this song, if we could be of help in any way, please let us know that. Even now, while together we stand and where we sing.